This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. I'm Tom DeWitt, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Bob Keipel. It is our extreme pleasure to have Kevin Boodleman, the founder and president of People Design, back on the show. Uh, welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me again. Appreciate it. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, People, People Design and Kevin are where I go when I want to know anything about the world of design and more specifically experience design. So um, we're, we're really excited to, to have Kevin back. Yeah, welcome, Kevin. Thank you Let, very much. Let's, let's get into it. Um, as Tom mentioned, Kevin, this is your second appearance on the show. And the reason why we really wanted to get you back is you just wrote a new article which gives a unique perspective on how to view CX or customer experience. And it's called CX Systems, 25 Lenses for Experience Design. So can you just give us a little overview about the article and tell us what led you to write it? Sure, sure. Well, I, in, in part, it was uh, originally uh, for the presentation that, that I made through uh, the CXM program. And uh, Tom knows, I mean, so the symposium he put on uh, several months ago. And so I, I was starting to collect my thoughts about customer experience and um, thinking about, you know, what do I know? And I, I think it's, um, you know, in part, I think it's because the topic of designing or creating experiences has a lot of different origins. And I think, you know, so like there's one view that's kind of coming from, let's say, hospitality and all these stories about, you know, what people do at Four Seasons and what people on the spot are, are able to people for mistakes and that sort of thing. Um, And then there's a view from kind of customer service, you know, where, you know, you think about people that are receiving, you know, phone calls on an 800 number. Um, I know that marketing people, when you say customer experience, they usually mean like the sales trip, like, or the corporate jet kind of situation. Um, or Or, you know, I have a lot of experience kind of in the user experience realm, which is coming from digital products and artifacts. And, you know, the way, you know, you, the, the, even the, the switching out the term user experience from customer experience has just a very different kind of connotation. So as I think about all of those things, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking for patterns and I'm thinking about systems and, and frameworks that to, for how we think about experience. And so trying to come up with a mechanism for that. So this, uh, this article, which was derived from that talk, was really just trying to come up with some level of a baseline of as a way to think about and sort of frame up conversations about experience. Now, Kevin, one of the themes I noticed in your 25 lenses for experience design was that of experiences over time as a sequence of interactions. Now, most of us are, are familiar with the customer experience lifecycle or the customer journey. How is your conceptualization of the sequence of interactions different from that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, it very much overlaps, but I think that the that idea in part stemmed from, I spent the last six years on the board of directors of a, of a nonprofit group called the Interaction Design Association, which is a global group, uh, reaches, you know, it reaches deep into all the big technology players in Silicon Valley and, and globally. Um, and, um, you know, this is, a, this is a group of people that are focused on what they call interaction design. And even interaction design is separate from user experience design, which is different from user interface design, which is different from customer experience, which is different from, let's say, even employee experience. And I think that, you know, sometimes I think we sort of, you know, professionals sometimes trip, trip over each other in terms of terminology. Um, not that these aren't different things with different, you know, reasonable uh, disciplines and, you know, and valuable ways of distinguishing them. But you know, to me, I think the, there is there is some level of a common denominator here. So trying to think about it in that way is, is helpful because there's there's a deep study in interaction design. So if you think about if you think about a customer journey, and if you think about a customer sort of timeline, it's really just it, it's a series of events. You know, it's it you know the the medium of experience is time. You know, and you're not you know you can't actually design. Uh, someone's experience. We talk about design, you know, experience design or user experience design or customer experience, um, but you're not actually designing their experience, right? Or what we can do is we can we can create situations, we can create artifacts, we can train employees, we can develop software products, whatever the case may be. But what's actually the experience is actually happening in the mind of the customer or the user, right? So, trying to come up with ways of um, structuring a conversation about that is, is helpful. So thinking about it as a series of interactions that happen over time is just is a, is a way to kind of take what it can be a pretty complex problem and kind of break it down into, into, into its sort of constituent parts. And then from there, you can start to think about it kind of like their macro experiences and their micro experiences, because I mean, from, from an interaction designer's perspective, the click of a button, the interaction with a button on a piece of software is an experience. But of course, we talk about customer journey as an experience. And you're talking about you know, a totally different kind of a scale, but you're really dealing with the same dynamics in some ways. So could you give us a little bit of detail of, of, of the different frames or parameters that you've, you've, you've put on, on time in your article? Sure. So, I, so if you think about, you know, you think about, you know, customer timeline, customer journey is just kind of a customer timeline. And right? if you start breaking it up into, you know, a series of individual interactions, um, you can then sort of look at each interaction maybe specifically. You can think about the scale of it, as I mentioned, is it a button or is it a full customer journey? Um, you can think about it in terms of performance. Is that in, in individual interaction producing the, the intended result? And often the intended result is to try to move a customer forward in, in that timeline. So does it move them back? Does it move them forward? And how long does that particular interaction take? How long should it take? Are you trying to move, you know, and is it, is it a positive interaction? Um, you can think about it in terms of technology. There's, there's plenty increasingly, you know, at the customer journey work we do, very often there's not only a question of, you know, is this, is this particular interaction a uh, uh, a physical interaction or a person, meaning there's a product or an environment involved, or if there is a, uh, a human involved, or increasingly, of course, digital uh, technology, and of course, the opportunity incre increasingly is to start start to take some of these interactions that may have previously been physical or personal and making them more digital. I mean, certainly, the digital transformation that many organizations are uh, finding themselves in, or in fact, are seeking, um, is a matter of taking those individual interactions and turning more and more of them into digital interactions, um, and then. You know, so there's and there's lots of lenses, right? So you can think about even in terms of the the internal team. You know, what's what's happening in the backstage? 
which departments are actually enabling that interaction to happen. Um, and so all of these things can add just layers of understanding so we can try to develop kind of a, an environment where better experiences can occur. So, um, so there are, uh, you know, 25 different lenses and that's a lot. And um, so you started to talk a little bit about how to actually um, analyze the interactions kind of depends on if it's with technology or with human beings. Uh, and so I guess my question is, how do you know where to start and where to start analyzing? Well, you know, cause there are so many different lenses to look through. I think, you know, I, I think, the, the easiest place to start from my standpoint is scale. I think it's, you know, because when we when people start talking about experiences, I say sometimes people talk about user experience and they're often talking about, let's say a website. So it's help, it's healthy, I think, first of all, to recognize that the website is not the full customer experience, right? So and, and people coming from a customer experience standpoint know this intuitively, but sometimes people, when they start in a smaller level, they're just thinking about one. So understanding, so scale, I think is the first place to start. Like where, what is the size of the, the, or the, the, the football field we're playing on, right? Is it this very small piece? And it is to say, it's not a, it's not, one isn't better or worse. It's just understanding the broader context. So I think scale is a great way to start thinking about context. And then I think you can start breaking it up into uh, it, it, the individual steps. And of course, each of those steps can be broken into more steps from there, but trying to figure out, so, so, you know, mostly, you know, what, you know, what is the overall kind of scale that we're working within? And then what are the major chunks of those things? And then you start to kind of, in some ways, get increasingly granular with your definitions of what, what are those pieces of the experience and how are they behaving? So, so if I can simplify a little bit for my small brain here, like if I think of it like in a journey map kind of a way, because a lot of people think of it that way, um, there are so many steps. Some of them don't matter at all, really, kind of in the big scheme of thing. And some of them super matter. Some of them are really hard to work on, et cetera. So how can you pick off the sort of the hot spots right away? And do you work on the things that are the most screwed up or you try to amplify the things that are best? How do you first start to get into fixing things yeah i think that there's i mean we're big big fans of uh doing user research customer research so first of all so better understanding what's happening is very helpful so first of all starting to divide any kind of a customer journey into steps is an abstraction of what's going on right so there's some interpretation of what's happening i'm going to call this step one and call that step two um but if you start to divide it up, at least you can start to identify, as you say. So if, through research, you can identify where, where are the problem areas, where are we, where are we performing the best? Um, and those, those are the, the, just, there's just the first kind of you know, litmus test. Very often you can try to capitalize on the wins. You can start to you know, focus on uh, where you're doing the worst. I think that doing the worst sometimes is 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 one of the one of the better places to start, in part because of all the psychology that's built into uh, the fact that we all remember negative experiences many times more than positive ones. I mean, I, I can tell you that you're handsome ten times, but you'll remember the one time I t- I, I say that you're ugly. So I, it's it's one of these things where the, you know people's experiences people remember negative things much much worse much more profoundly. So identifying those ne- negative experiences is critical. You can capitalize on the positive ones. Mm-hmm. The other thing we emphasize uh, often, and I t- describe in the article, is the fact that not all of these interactions are equal, too. Because sometimes, you know, if you're if one interaction is, um, you know, from a, from a brand standpoint, so a lot of our work is also in the brand space, especially if it's tied up in your brand promise. 
I remember when FedEx was first launched and right. I mean, the slogan was something like if the package, you know, absolutely had to be delivered overnight. Well, if they failed on that particular interaction versus any other interaction, you know, it erodes their brand promise. Um, well, there are lots of other examples. I talk about one in, in terms of the uh, uh, Thai laundry detergent in the in the article that where they the the researchers at Procter and Gamble uh, uh, figured out how you know the the aroma and the packaging actually was a were better were more significant interactions with a customer than the actual cleanliness of the soap. Mostly because you know as a consumer you couldn't actually determine how clean your clothes were per se, except well, for that. how it smelled. Mm -hmm. and how it seemed to be reinforced by the package. So those kinds of things are, are critical to try to understand like what's most important, where are we failing and where are we succeeding? Interesting. So you bring up this concept of, of weight, of importance and different interactions. Um, I've always been intrigued about how people's um, expectations and the weight of importance changes um, the longer you're in a relationship. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Um, um, so, you know, you brought up something real pretty simple with laundry detergent, but what, what about, you know, with, with a company that delivers more traditional experiences and, and how does somebody who's been a customer for three or four years, how, how might the weight of some interactions be more important than, than somebody who's new to, to the relationship? Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating idea. And it's, and it's interesting because we were chatting before we got on talking about um, how there's 25 lengths. I mean, I, I think we almost could keep going, right? I mean, it's really just, you could keep yeah. thinking because I think it, it's a great, it's a great point about, you know, I think one of the reasons I, I remember as a kid, one of the reasons I got into sort of thinking about brands and experience was kind of the, I had kind of a visceral response when um, you know, you go to a coffee shop or a grocery store and they'd say like, well, you know, you know, do you, did you bring your card or your number? And I think to myself, this is your card. It's your number. I'm just a guy trying to buy some. And why can't, and why can't you it's remember like, me? Yeah. It's right? like, what are you I talking mean, about? And it, it's, it's your point, yeah. Tom. I, I think the whole, the, the issue, and I think I, I get, I feel this way. And I'm sure a lot of consumers do. And I think companies could do, would be better served at this. You know, if you're a longstanding customer, um, yeah, you, you should, I can imagine the priority shifting in terms of to what extent you should expect, you know, some level of a different kind of a service, different Pers uh, personalization. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Acknowledgement I mean, like, of how long you've been absolutely. in the relationship. Exactly. And not, and yeah. not just abuse because they can identify your shopping behavior, oh. <laughs> right? But oh. act, to actually, you, exactly. you, 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 you think about your relationship with any company. It's not, a, I mean, our expectations are like interacting with a person. And of course, if you had, if it were a personal interaction and you went into the same shop owner every day, you know, uh, for a year, at some point you develop a rapport yeah. with that shop owner and you'd have certain, and they would know what you would want and they'd be, you'd have, they'd treat you differently than if you're completely anonymous. You would hope. And it, and, and, but, and some big organization should probably behave the same way or should strive to, because I think that's how, that's how we think as, as consumers. Yeah. And I think the same goes for service recovery. So if I have a problem and I've been in a relationship for three, four, five, 10 years, um, you would hope during the course of that resolution, they would acknowledge that. Yeah. Uh, that would acknowledge you, the length of the relationship and the value of that relationship. And, and yeah. that the resolution becomes even more important than someone who's new, and the, you know, not that's more or less important, but they acknowledge that. 
And or even, even, I think even sort of forgiveness. I mean, I've had, I remember I've had interactions. I'm sure you guys have too, where it's like you, you maybe you miss a bill, or there's some kind of you know you might have messed something up, and you you know, give them a call, and you're gonna and they're like, well, you know, this thing was supposed to be happen at this particular time, and you think. I've literally been paying you for 20 years. Yeah. Like you can, and I miss you one payment. You, 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 you can't cut me some slack here. Exactly. You know, there's, 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 there's a little, you know, but I think you, you feel like you're dealing with a machine. In fact, you are, but like that machine should have a better intelligence. Yeah. Well, no. And the reason I brought it up, you know, you look at the typical journey map, the, the last stage is loyalty. And I always ask myself, what are companies doing in that journey to earn that loyalty? And how do they right. treat customers in a way to keep them in the relationship? I think that's an area that there's incredible potential. I was oh, I agree. I, I, I agree. Wanna, Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead, Bob. I was just going to say, um, I like how you mentioned there are, you have to remember your segmentation that some of your customers are a little bit different. You know, just going to our last conversation, mm-hmm. say you have insurance for years and years and years, and then you have death in the family and you have to collect and you're very upset. Well, guess what? That's kind of a special moment versus yeah. regular insurance company interaction. Or let's say you're a the owner of a Mercedes S class and you, you know, you're pretty proud of yourself and you've, you know, paid a lot of money for your car versus somebody who maybe bought the entry level Mercedes. Sure. Keeping that in mind is so mm-hmm. important. And so the, the, the fact that you got the nuances in your article there, I thought was really valuable to see. Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's such a, it's, I wrote an article a couple of years ago called the wisdom of salespeople. And of course it's funny because all the salespeople love that article. I got some feedback from clients of mine, but I think it's because a good salesperson is very uh, situationally aware. You, you know, they're, 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 mm-hmm. they can read the room. They understand the dynamic. There's just a situ- So, and, so there's, there's kind of, you know, market segments and demographics, but there's even like the, the situation you were just describing is a, a very highly contextualized arrangement. And so, you know, yeah, that requires sort of some intimate knowledge of the customer and what they're going through and trying to do, you know, it's, 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 these are, these are challenging things, but I think that I, you know, I, I believe that we're in a, we're in, a, in an era what we describe as an era of choice in our company where consumers, they have a lot of choices. And I think that, you know, these, these differences, they may seem subtle, but they're they're critical for maintaining customer and building toward customer loyalty. To your to your point, Tom, and I think there's you know there's all these anecdotes even about like what what creates uh, the impetus for people to switch products or services. And because we're all such creatures of habits, we tend to like do the same thing even if we get beaten up every day. We go to the same store, but it, it, you know sometimes when it, when a product or service is many times better, we will switch, and then we don't. We tend to remain loyal in part out of out of habit. Um, but also, obviously, we will seek that better experience. So in your article, you also propose different ways to look at experiences as a whole. Uh, you mentioned the cumulative effect, goals, and as a story. Could you explain those differences to our listeners? Sure, sure. So I think, you know, I, I, I've become, th- this exercise was, a you know, kind of an exploration, especially of scale, as mentioned in this timeline, you think about macro and micro. So you could get very micro with it. If you could, you know, keep slicing down the individual interactions into these smaller parts, you can measure them and try to understand where they're coming from and the medium and so on. But if you step way back and maybe squint your eyes, you think, okay, what's the big picture here in terms of like, what's, what's actually being achieved? You know, what do we want through this experience, whether it's a, whether it's a full customer experience or whether it's some segment of it, um, what do you really want people to think, feel, or do, you know, what are you actually, and, and how are you, you know, so you, you can measure sort of the, the minutiae along the way, 
but like it is, is the net, is, is the net benefit or the sum total of these interactions uh, achieving your, your stated goal and how clear are you about that stated goal, right? So being, being really clear about that sort of thing. And it, it, it's made me think about, um, it, there's work that we do in my graduate class about systems thinking. And there's, there's some interesting models there about inputs and outputs and how it relates to metrics and how you can start to think about uh, ways of thinking about, um, you know, if you sort of back up from the individual interactions to kind of like the, the flow, if you will, of, you know, these kinds of inputs and will yield those kinds of outputs. You know, we can, you can imagine yourself kind of tweaking the levers to try to sort out, you know, to try to change the, out, the outcomes uh, that are perhaps more desirable. So there's kind of this, this flow piece. And then um, story, as you mentioned, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the idea of story is just, you know, so yeah. um, I find it kind of, you know, entertaining to think about the customer journey or customer timeline and kind of putting on your kind of classic story arc where there's like rising action and falling action. Mm. Um, not that everything is, a, is, a, is has to be a dramatic, you know, enterprise per se, but on some level, you know, the customer is always the hero of the story, or at least it should be. And so thinking about it that way, there's a lot of interesting work that's been done in, in the space of sto story development. And um, there's a great guy, a guy, in fact, who used to be the, the I think his title is the chief storyteller at uh, Procter & Gamble. And he used to, and he's done lots of good presentations to talk about how we, we understand everything through story, basically, right? I mean, so this is why movies and TV and so on, but like, or even like if you, if you meet a friend and they'll tell you a story as a way to tell you something. So if you think about it that way, and if you think about it, if the customer is the hero of the story, thinking about how the, the customer journey is, you know, that they're playing a role. And so like, what are you doing to facilitate that role? And there's, you know, if you follow kind of the, the, the hero's journey. There's a lot of interesting apparatus that's been put in place about the magic item and how this, how you over, overcome certain things and makes you feel better about yourself and those kinds of things. So they're just interesting things, sort of paradigms to lean on um, to think about the customer journey in a more holistic way. That's fun. That whole story thing is fun. Like if you think about um, going to Taco Bell versus going to Chick-fil-A, you know, in terms of a story, you know, you're running one of those businesses. What story do you want to tell? What story do you want them to tell about you? That's a really kind of a nice way of looking at it kind of free form as opposed to trying to break down like a customer journey. It's just a yeah. good perspective. Well, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, it's kind of like the club with the big line outside and build the inside. It's like the story of like exclusivity is told through, you know, in, in ways that don't seem very logical, but it's, but it's, it, 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 we're, you're, we're all sort of conjuring the story in our minds about what we're doing. Um, and I think it's important to keep that in mind. Well, what a great way to engage your employees. Ask them that question. What, what would, you know, if, if, if your customers were to tell a story about this operation and their interaction with you, what would that story look like? Or what would you want that story to look like? not a bad way to engage employees and, and a no. thoughtful exercise in what they do every day instead of just a, a transaction. Right. Well, I agree. I, I, I actually think that the, you know, the phenomenon that's become sort of Simon Sinek and starting with why and purpose-driven companies and all of these kinds of things are, you know, are well-intentioned, but it's also, I think, a, a reflection of an understanding of, people buy into stories. I mean, that's how they, mm -hmm. that's how they think about things and they want to, they want to tell themselves what they're doing is useful and, 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 and they want it to be useful. So it's, and it isn't meant to be, I don't, I don't see it as a deceptive thing. It's more of mm -hmm. a, this is, this is a way you can communicate and convey meaning. 
And that's, that's how we understand things in the world. So it's, it's kind of a understanding that, the, that there are levers <laughs> at play. Yeah. Well, and the more engaging and memorable the story, the more willing people are going to be to share it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I've, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I spent a little bit of time in Texas not too long ago. And I, my first one-on-one interaction with In-N-Out Burger, and man, was <laughs> I blown away. And I've been sharing that story over and over again. And it's very well composed um, from how they take orders um, to, to how, and how they understand the customer enough to ask whether they're eating in the car or not, and, and how they present their burgers half-wrapped half so that, you know, the story, what I told friends this morning is it's like the burger was talking to me when it came in the car. It was, it was actually positioned to look me in the face and, and say, here I am, you know, uh, I'm ready, you know, and I was ready too. So, uh, you know, and I can't help but think the people at In-N-Out had that thought when they put that all together, you know, was the, yeah. the story they wanted to tell and how the customer was going to respond to it because they nailed it. Well, thanks, Kevin. This has been amazing. Thank you um, for your article. Uh, I and I don't know. Maybe maybe we can expect another twenty-five lenses. We'll have you back <laughs> when we're up to fifty lenses. <laughs> there, but just, there you go. <laughs> but just the, the fact you're able to create twenty-five lenses for experience design is very enlightening. Um, for those listeners who are interested, you can find the the article on the CX of m.org uh, website on their on the blog and are there other outlets for the article as well kevin yeah well you can certainly find uh you know my uh company is people design so people design.com and we put all of our things out there and we're you know try to keep building on these ideas you know really it's an evolution of of, of thinking and um experiments with clients and learning from clients and um yeah so i, I appreciate uh, being invited back and the opportunity to share yeah, as always, it's a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you again. And listeners, whether it was intentional or unintentional, thanks for tuning in again to the Tom and Bob Show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tom and Bob Show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.